0: God, we're not ashamed to declare this to the world, to you, that we need you. We realize that we are weak. We realize that we are without you. We are without hope. And so we pray that tonight you would remind us of your goodness, that you would teach us your truth, that you would lead us in your paths for the glory of Christ. Amen. Maybe may be seated. I'm the guy that John was introducing before. I'm uh, David Ellis, and I am so glad to be here tonight. I've, I have worshiped here at Connection Church before. I know many of uh, your staff members and your pastors, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Larry, are dear friends, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, my understanding is that this summer uh, you have been looking, working through the book of Colossians, so let me read the passage that just follows in that series. It's Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 5 and 6. And the Word of God says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the Word of the Lord. Um, question for you. Have you ever felt like an outsider? I bet you have, right? Like you're in the group, but you're not really part of the group. Like there are things going on and you don't really understand. them. There are inside jokes that you don't get. You're just, you have that feeling like you're on the outside and you're looking in. We've all felt that way, right? It's a horrible feeling. It just doesn't feel good. I I think, um, The earliest memory I have of feeling that way was in second grade. Um, Second grade, I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. I wasn't born there, but it was the only city I could remember. I moved there very young. All my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, all my friends, everybody lived there. And we moved, my family moved from there to a town not far from here in North Jersey. And what made things worse... We moved in the middle of the school year. Anybody ever move, change schools, middle of the school year? It really stinks because you know, here you're. You're only seven years old. You don't know where anything is. You don't know the teacher's name. You don't know how to find the bathroom. You don't know your way down the hall. Um, this is the late 1960s. Back in the 60s, second graders would actually walk home from school all by themselves. they go out from school. I didn't know how to find my house. It was it was a it was a bad feeling, and it seemed like it seemed to me. I'm sure it wasn't true, but it seemed like all the other kids in my second grade class were best friends with each other. They all knew each other's names. They all they went to first grade together, and I was on the outside, and um, it didn't feel good. I wonder what, wonder what your earliest memory of feeling like an outsider is. I would bet it's not a good memory, right? Well... Being an outsider doesn't feel good, and this is actually one of the big problems that many people today have with Christianity. This is one of the complaints about the Christian faith. You read the Bible, you read the New Testament, the Bible clearly treats some people as outsiders. I mean, it make, it's just kind of un, unflinching in telling us that in God's eyes, there are people who are inside the kingdom... And there are people who are outside the kingdom. In fact, um, according to Scripture, tonight, every person in this room right now, and I don't know you guys, but everyone here is either inside the family of God or you're outside the family of God. And so there are outsiders. Jesus talked this way. Matthew, Mark chapter 4, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and, he, and he, refers to, he referred to those who were not disciples. You know what he called them? Those on the outside. Ma- Matthew uh, chapter 25 Jesus told a story. You may have heard it. We call it the story of the sheep and the goats. He says, he says the end of time, this is what it's going to be like. All the people of the world will gather before Jesus, and just like a shepherd separ- used to separate, separate sheep from goats, Jesus said he will separate all of humanity into two groups, those who are on the inside who will be welcomed into the kingdom and those who are on the outside who will be shut out. And... Um, we live in a time and we live in a culture when this, this idea of exclusivity is not popular. It might even bother some of you here tonight. Sometimes it bothers me, this thought that, that people are, in God's eyes, there are people who are on the outside. So that's why, that's why the passage we're looking at today is really important for us because this, it gives us some understanding of why, why the Bible talks this way. And better than that, how it is that God wants... Those of us who know Jesus, and, and I'm assuming many of you here do, maybe not all, but how God wants those of us who know Jesus to be interacting with those who don't. So uh, let's look at these two verses, and I, I basically have two, two things I want to point out. Um, first, how God wants followers of Christ, how God wants us to treat those who are on the outside, and then secondly, why? Why? All right, why He wants us to treat them this way. So, so how, how does God want um, those who know Christ, who have come into God's family, how, how, does he want, how does He want us to be interacting with those who, who don't yet know Him? And basically these verses tell us, and you find this many places in the New Testament, God wants those who follow Christ to be sh- demonstrating kindness and love and utmost respect Toward those who are not Christians. Uh, and and we're to do this, if you see in this passage, in two different ways. We are to do this toward those on the outside with, first, with our time, and secondly, with the way we talk, with our, our time and our talk. So, uh, first, uh, our time. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Uh, using time wisely, and this is saying that uh, when we interact with people who maybe don't know Christ, maybe they've never heard about Christ, they're they're not part of of His church. Um, we are to give them the gift of our time, and. Uh, you probably would agree with me that for many of us, that's the most precious gift you could give to anyone because we're all so busy. But we are to interact with people. We're, we're, to, we're to interact in human ways with people around us. And that's, um, that's kind of unusual in today's world. I mean, in uh, the city where we live, almost everyone is very, very busy, right? We're all in a hurry. We all have a lot to do. We all have places to go. And we all see hundreds of people every day. I mean, you see, I don't know how many people we run into. Every day we see them. And uh, something happens in our mind. We begin to think of people as just obstacles, right, to be avoided or, or, or objects to be, feel annoyed with or objects to desire, objects, objects to envy. Um, we don't interact with people in a human way. And, and this verse is saying, use, use wisdom and use your time in the way that you interact with the people around you. Take some time. Take some time for people. Um, a few years ago, a newspaper in uh, Washington, D.C., I guess they wanted a story, so they did an experiment, and they got this man named Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is renowned right now as one of, if not the most talented violinists, classical violinists in the world. So, they got Joshua Bell to um, take his violin, which is worth $3.5 million, and stand in, they call it the Metro, it's the DC subway system, to stand in a station at the Metro and uh, and to give a free concert for everyone. However, instead of wearing his usual tuxedo, right, like he would do at Carnegie Hall… He dressed in jeans and a sweatshirt and a ball cap, and 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 they didn't tell anyone it was Joshua Bell. They didn't tell anyone what he—he just stood there, and he played classical music, and they wanted to see how people would react. If you uh, go on YouTube and just search Joshua Bell Metro, you'll find it, all right? For hours, he stood there playing this amazing concert, and almost nobody noticed him. They were all in a hurry. They had to get the train. They had to get to work. And, and they just walked past this guy. That couple of threw a dollar in or something. But nobody noticed this man. And, and the point of the article that came out in, in the Washington Post was they walked right past this guy, not realizing how, um, how special Joshua Bell is. They treated him like just an ordinary guy, right? Well, listen, the Bible tells us the Bible would tell us that there is no such thing as an ordinary guy or an ordinary gal, right? That, that every human being, whether, whether you are a talented violinist or just, you know, a normal person like me, every single human being, Genesis 127 says, every human being in the world is created in the image of Almighty God. You know, theologians for years have wondered exactly what does that mean? There have been whole books written on it, debates. Which, what, is, what does this mean? There's something mysterious about that phrase, that every human being is created in the image of an infinite, eternal God at the very minimum. here's You know what it means? It means that every person we ever see is of immeasurable importance. There are no ordinary people. Every person we meet has, has been given an undying soul by God and will, will live forever Somewhere. You know, people come uh, to New York City. We have some people from North Carolina here today. People come to New York City, and obviously, they're, they're, what do you want to see when you come to New York? You want to see the buildings. You want to see the museums. You want to see the artwork. You want to see the Statue of Liberty. Uh, these are some of the treasures of our city, right? God would say, God would tell us, all of those, all of those buildings, all of those museums put together do not have the value Of the first person you see on the street when you walk out of here tonight. There are no ordinary people. We need to take time for them. This great, great quote from C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, these are temporary. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And, and his point was, every person we meet it has been imbued by God with eternal significance. And they're all special. And so um, this passage here is saying that how do we interact with people on the outside? We, we give them the gift of our time. Now, I don't think that, I don't know how you would function if you stop and talked and interacted with everybody you see. I don't think it's placing that kind of burden uh, on our shoulders. But I think, this, th- I think this verse is actually a wonderful invitation for us to just kind of slow down a little bit. And when you're buying a cup of coffee in the corner, actually look in the eyes of the guy who's giving it to you. Or, or, or when, you, when you walk down the street, actually saying hello to a neighbor, just a, a little bit of time. Do you, do you know that um, there are people who live on your block who, there are people who live on your block, I'm sure, all right, this is no word of prophecy, I just know the way life is here. There are people who live on your block who will not eat a meal um, except alone all week long. They'll never sit down with another person to eat. And they might never have anybody really stop and say hi to them. You know, they're just kind of isolated. Can you, ima- can you imagine how they would feel if, for example, you just stopped and said, hey, I'm Bill or I'm Mary or whoever you are. Just the gift of time. All right? So um, we're to interact by giving the people the gift of our time. And the phrase that it uses here says making the best use of our time, which um, is a, a good translation, but literally in the Greek what it says, it says buying up the time, which you, you you realize why they don't say that because what does that mean buying up the time? But apparently the idea was, um, imagine that you you're in the marketplace, you're in a store, and you find you find something that is the price is so amazing. Let's say you walk into you walk into the Apple Store and iPads are on sale for five dollars a piece, right? What would you do? You would buy every one of them, all everyone in stock. You pull out your credit card. I want all of them. Like, this, this is a bar. I can't let any of them be wasted, right? And so the idea is every moment of time is precious. Buy them all. Don't let any of them be wasted. So the idea is um, let's show the love of Christ to others with our time. And, and secondly, with, with our talk, with the way that we talk to others, um, ask yourself, what reputation do Christians have in this world uh, for the way that we talk to others? Now, I think a lot of people would say Christians are those people who are always condemning, always pointing out people's flaws, always judging, always telling people that they're wrong. That's, That's the reputation. I don't know if we deserve it or not. Some of us, maybe we do. But that's not the way that we're to be speaking to people. It, it says here, uh, verse six: Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So um, we are to we are to talk to those around us in, in in a in a gracious, kind, respectful way. It's an interesting phrase: "seasoned with salt." What do you What do you think it means? Have your conversation seasoned with salt I, I'm, I'm not sure the best guess that I've heard that it, it, it means this um, our conversation is to be flavored with grace alright in such a way you know how salt makes you thirsty you eat potato chips you just have to have something to drink um, in such, uh, let our conversation be um, flavored with grace in such a way that people are thirsty for Jesus to talk to people in that way um, what's interesting to me is it says, let your speech always be gracious. Um, not, it doesn't just say let your speech be gracious when you're talking to people about Jesus, right? You know, you're, you, have the, you're, you get yourself all psyched up and you're talking to your co-worker about Jesus. And so i got to be in my best behavior right now because I'm witnessing, so let me be gracious. It says let your speech always be gracious. All the time when we, when we talk to people, um, to let the, the love and the grace of Jesus just some, somehow kind of saturate the way we talk so that it flavors our conversation with them. Um, it says we, we are to do this so we will know how we ought to answer each person. And um, if you think about that, if we are to be giving answers to others, that means that they are to be asking us questions which means for people to ask us questions, there have to be moments when we actually close our mouths and we listen to them. So I think this verse is saying we we need to, with God's help, this is not easy, but we need to become really, really good listeners. Just ask people. Um, Sometimes what makes it hard for me to talk with my neighbors about Christ is I feel like I have to kind of come onto the scene with all the answers and I have to kind of just direct the conversation and and, you know sometimes it would just help if I would just get to know them and ask them questions tell me about your life tell me about your fears tell me tell tell, tell me about what what do you think is wrong with this world just ask and and let them begin to talk to me until they they begin to ask questions and then it says we ought to know how we ought to answer it says each person if if we're supposed to know how we should answer each person here's what that means we are not supposed to go out into the world with one single canned answer for everyone, right? You ever, have you ever had your phone ring and it's one of those robocalls? You know, you answer the phone, you say, hello, hello. And then it turns out, you, I always get fooled. I think it's a real person. And then you realize it's just, it's a recording. And, and they're saying the exact same message for everyone who answers the phone. I have known Christians who treat outsiders that way. They have the exact canned presentation of the gospel for every single person they meet. This verse is saying you ought to know how you should answer each person. Everybody doesn't have the same question. In a story of Queens, there are some people have this question about Christ, other people have that question about Christ. Not everybody's the same. And so we are to listen carefully to others, prayerfully listen to others hear the questions they're answering, asking, and then uh, do our best to give them a kind and gracious answer. First um, Peter 3 verse 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I, I wonder how some of our non-Christians friends would react if, if Christians would just treat them with real gentleness, real respect. I um, wonder, how, wonder how our Muslim neighbors would feel if we would just with tenderness and love treat them. Or, or, or those who are in, in, uh, in lifestyles that are generally frowned upon by, by, by the church. How, how would they react if we just really listened, really cared? Let them come to us with their, ans- their questions and, and, then, and then answer but the point here is we're to give people time, and we are to talk with them. God God wants us to be talking to outsiders about Christ, telling them about him. I, uh, I heard a, a pastor once sharing his story. Um, apparently, he, he grew up in a small town in Florida, and um, he, come, he came from a very, very broken, dysfunctional home, and he was... As a teenager, he was just kind of out of control. He was, he was, he was one of those kids that your, uh, your mom didn't want you hanging out with in high school, all right? He was just uh, rebellious. And when he was a senior in high school, one of his friends invited him to go with a church youth group on a, on a retreat. And when he went on this retreat, for the first time in his life, he heard someone explain to him the message about God's love in Jesus. And his, his response was immediate. His response was genuine. I mean, it just touched him more deeply than anything ever had, and he responded by opening his heart and, 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 and uh, confessing his need for Christ and trusting in Christ as a Savior. And he was just, in that moment, just kind of radically converted. Well, anyway, um, he was now the poster child for the, for the youth group, you know, the rebellious kid who, who got saved on the retreat. So when they brought him, when they came back from the retreat, they wanted this guy. His name was Tommy. They wanted Tommy to share his, his uh, testimony, his message with the whole church. So they trotted him out on, on the platform on the next Sunday, and they had him. He was going to tell his, his testimony of how he met Christ on this retreat. And, and he looked out at the congregation of this, this nice, respectable church in Florida. And you know what he saw in the congregation? He saw his little league coach, and he saw his sixth grade teacher, and he saw the lady down the street. He used to, he used to mow her lawn for her. He saw, all these, he saw all these people from this small town whom he had known, and they had known him his entire life. And when he saw them, you know what? He just got really, really mad, um, and he kind of went off script. And, and instead of telling them the story of the retreat, he said, you people have known me my whole life and you've known Jesus, and you, why didn't you tell me about him? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, man, I wonder how I would have felt if I'd been in that church. I, I think I would have felt pretty bad. And, and um, wouldn't, I just don't, I don't want any of my, I don't want any of my friends or my neighbors or people that we know, And that, I don't want them someday to say that to me. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you? And so how does God want us? Yes, there are outsiders. That's a reality. I mean, in the Christian faith, how does he want us? He, he wants us treating every single person that we meet to the extent that we can with genuine respect and love, Give, giving them to the extent that we're able, giving them tent, the, the gift of our time, and uh, when we have the opportunity, giving the, the gift of our talk, of, of listening to them and talking to them about Jesus. So... That's my first point. How does he want us to treat them? Second, why? What, why does God want those who know Christ to be treating those who don't in this way? And, and the, the, answer, the answer might actually encourage you, if, you are actually, if you're bothered by this whole idea of the exclusivity of, of the Christian faith. The reason God wants us interacting with people this way is it, it's one reason only. Because God wants... Those who are on the outside to be brought to the inside. This is, this is the heart of God. This is, the, this is the message of the Bible. Matthew uh, chapter 22, Jesus told a parable. Uh, about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is like a man who had a a huge wedding banquet and he invited all his friends to come and none of them wanted to come and so the banquet was empty and he said to his servants, listen, go out on the street corners and and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Just go out there in the street right now. Bring people in. I I want them brought in. That's the heart of God. He he wants the outsiders to become insiders. So in a sense... um, one of the tough truths about Christianity is that it's exclusive. The, the Christian faith makes no bones about telling us that there's one and only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, and only those who have come to Jesus Christ in faith have been accepted by God and are part of His family. That, that will make a lot of people mad. So Christianity is exclusive, but... At the very same time, it is the most inclusive belief system you will ever find. Why? Because everyone, everyone in the world is invited to come in. E- everyone is to hear the invitation to come in. doesn't matter who they are, how educated, how, how uneducated, how rich, how poor. It doesn't, doesn't even matter if they're good people. It, it's just everyone, everyone is invited. Um, I understand there have been a couple of weddings in this church recently. John and Emily just got married, and it's Ben and Mina just got married, and uh, that's great. Last night, my wife and I were at a wedding, in uh, and it was in the uh, Brooklyn Botanical Garden, and you know, it was just perfect weather last night. Where well, I think the bride and groom were worried because they're talking about they were talking about rain all week long, right, for this weekend, and somehow it just. Perfect weather, not humid. This was about yesterday evening. If you've ever been to the Botanical Gar- Garden in Brooklyn, beautiful setting. And it really felt like we were in one of those weddings that are, you see in the movies, right, where it's just so, you're in this beautiful garden, except in the movies something crazy always happens, right? But nothing crazy happened. It was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful garden. And the, the pastor was doing the wedding, told us, reminded us, that the human race began in a beautiful garden just like that. I mean, our, our parents are the very first human beings. The Bible tells us human, humanity started in a garden, a beautiful paradise where, 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 where none, of, none of us were outsiders. We were all in the garden with our God. Uh, we, we knew Him personally. And then... Our first parents, they made a decision to rebel against God. And what happened? Because of their rebellion, the whole human race was kicked out. We, we are, listen, we are a race of outsiders. And so when you read the Bible, I know the Bible seems really complicated sometimes, but the, the Bible is basically one, one beautiful story. It is a story of God going out of the garden to bring the outsiders back in the whole story of Jesus is the story of God's effort to send his son out of the out of paradise into this broken world to bring outsiders back in so um, when we think about how God would want us to interact uh, with those who are on the outside it's not really because we are the ones who are supposed to reach them you know, who am I to reach anybody? Who are you to reach anybody, right? It's, that burden is not on our shoulder. Jesus is the one who is right now seeking the outsiders. I think that the title of this series is Simply Jesus, right? Um, when you think about God's mission in this world to reach those on the outside, invite them in, it really is simply Jesus. He's the one doing it. He'll, he'll do it through us. We, we give... We give a little bit of extra time and attention to somebody that we meet. We, we, uh, we listen to them. We give them some answers. Uh, but at the end of the day, the one, the one who's seeking, the, the one who's seeking your unbelieving cousin or your skeptical neighbor or, or your hard-hearted coworker, the one the one who's seeking them right now is the same one who sought you, Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so as we interact with those on the outside, uh, we rejoice, right? Because it's, he's the one doing this. It is simply Jesus. Now, before I close in prayer, I don't know you guys, all right? Um, and I don't know, but maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're realizing that you are on the outside still i don't mean you're a bad person you're probably better than i am all right and I, I don't mean that you've never been to church before maybe you grew up in church but but you've you've never yet really come to and and embraced with faith the one who is seeking outsiders you've never really trusted in christ um so here's the amazing thing here's the one of the amazing things about the christian faith any A person could have walked into this room tonight outside the kingdom, an outsider to God's family, and leave this building an insider. It's not like there's some long process you have to go through. It, the, the line that defines outsiders from insiders is Jesus. You very simply trust in Jesus. And so... Um, it may be that God is tonight speaking to, to somebody here through me and just saying, You are invited. Why are you outside there? You are invited. Come to my son. Come on in. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not turn your back on us when we were outside the kingdom. That in the person of Jesus, you came out looking for us we thank you for for that we we pray that you will help us as we interact with those who are still outside of your family give us give us a special grace to see people around us with new eyes to give them the gift of our time to to uh, lovingly talk with them learn their names share with them that the name of jesus and we pray that as we do this with your help that more and more of those who are on the outside will be brought inside to the place of your love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.